My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. couple of weeks, um, we've been looking at this parable that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. Um, we don't really have a text for today. We're going to be moving around quite a bit through, throughout Scripture. If you want to turn somewhere, you could turn to Luke chapter 15, because that's where the parable takes place. But really, we're going to be exploring less a text today and more a concept that comes out of the text, and hopefully understanding a little bit about what we see in this text, not directly from the text, but from other Scripture being brought into the text. If you're not familiar with the story of the prodigal son, it's a story about a son who leaves his father and, and his family and decides that he's going to make his own way in life and discovers that even though he thought he knew what he was doing, even though he had a plan, even though he thought this is what the story of my life will tell from this day forward when he makes his decision to leave, to ultimately take his inheritance and go, he, he had a plan and hope has fallen. Um, but we, uh, he had, in his life, his hope fell. Um, but he had this, this idea of this is what life will be. And nothing goes that way. The story of his life is that this is what he wanted out of life, And his path leads him in an entirely different direction than where he thought he was going. And he ends up poor and destitute. He starts out rich and affluent. And the story of his life brings him to a place where he's poor and destitute, living on the lowest rung of the lowest possible ladder, in the mud with the pigs, jealous of the pigs, of these pigs that he's just barely paid to take care of, he comes and discovers in his own heart and in his own life a moment where he looks at the pigs and realizes they have it better than he does. And his heart begins to sorrow. But at this lowest of low moments in his life, he suddenly has this this epiphany, this thought, this idea that comes into his mind, and he begins to remember what life was like back home with his dad. And he decides he's going to go back home, he's going to go back to dad. And last week we spent some time talking about what the mud of life can look like. That for most of us, it's metaphorical mud that we find ourselves in. The beauty of church at home is I don't know where you're watching from this morning. So it may be literal mud. It's not for any of us here, but I don't know where you are at home. But we find ourselves stuck in the mud of life. And we talked last week about how most of the mud in our life really comes from two places. That we're broken or that we're bound. That, That our lives have been broken and either through that brokenness or, or also included in that brokenness is that we're bound to something. And we talked about what bondage can look like last week. Now, for many of us who would call ourselves believers, we probably haven't literally walked away from the Lord. 
that that's probably not our story, that, that, that I, 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 I have decided I'm going to leave the Lord and I'm going to leave my faith. If that is probably true, there's a good chance you're not with us today. Maybe you are, I don't know. But it may be that these kind of distances have become part of our lives spiritually or emotionally, even without us knowing it. And that's what we talked about last week, was bondage and brokenness that takes place in our lives, that it's not a choice or a decision that we make, it's a place that we find ourselves in. But what we, what we can discover as we've walked through this is that just like the prodigal son, we do need in areas of our life, or maybe in the wholeness of our life, to come back home to come back to our Father, to take this area of our life that's wandered away from what God has for us and bring it back to the Lord. And so this week, what I want to do is I want to take a look because in this story, what happens is the prodigal son decides to go back home and then he goes back home and he's welcomed home by his father. Next week, we're going to explore what it looks like to be welcomed by our father. But, but there's a part of the story that happens in between him deciding to come home and when he arrives at home that doesn't really show up in the story, but it's a crucial part of the story for us to understand as he sits in the mud and he considers going back home and he, he really needs to hope and believe and have faith that his father will in some way welcome him home, even if the son just hopes, the son just hopes that his dad will give him a job. But here's what happens in the story after the son has his mud epiphany. It says he came to his senses and he gets up and he heads home. Then in verse 20 it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And next week, like I said, we're going to take a look at this exchange and what the father does for his son here and what it means for us as we return home to our dad. But the son has just said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against you. The things I've done are so great. I no longer am who I was. But this is what the father says to his son's confession of sin. As he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. There's no offense held. When the son, the son comes repentant to his dad and says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the dad's response is, my son is home. There's no offense. There's no anger. His father forgives him. And what we see in this story is the son's desire to receive forgiveness from his father. And the heart of this story is a picture of forgiveness in our lives from our father in heaven and what that looks like. The, the son realizes, I need to beg my father for forgiveness. And then the, the, the father demonstrates forgiveness in this incredible impactful way and so today even though it doesn't talk about forgiveness specifically in the story we see this incredible picture of forgiveness and so today I want to explore the concept of forgiveness because had the father not forgiven the son this story would have gone very differently 
Had the son not come with a heart of looking for forgiveness, he would have stayed in the mud. But because the son understands his need to be forgiven and the father gives us this incredible picture of forgiveness, we have the story of the prodigal son. There's four principles of forgiveness that I want to talk about today. The first point about forgiveness that we need to understand is it's the turning point for the son in the story of the prodigal son. And it's the turning point for us in our lives for when we decide to come back home. The first thing we need to understand about forgiveness is this. I need forgiveness. I think for a lot of us in our lives, one of the fastest ways for us to end up broken and in bondage is when we forget that we still need God's grace. When we've served God for a long time, we can lose sight of ourselves and our lives and who we are. And we can sometimes start to live our lives from a self-righteous place where we stop seeing the plank of wood in our own eye and really start hammering away on the sliver in other people's eyes. We can forget that we are sinners in need of grace. Now, grace changes our identity, but if we stop accepting the grace, our identity stops being changed. Sometimes we forget that about ourselves. When Jesus was teaching us to pray, when his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, teach us to pray, and Jesus gives us this picture of what prayer should look like, he tells us, Remember you need forgiveness. It says this in verse, or as he taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It means holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus talks about the idea, the concept of forgiveness, sort of like an economy. There's a debt that we owed. There's a debt that you owed. There was a bill that needed to be paid. And it's our sin. Our sin is what has left us with this debt that needs to be paid. Scripture will say, for the wages of sin, what death or what sin earns is death. And Jesus says to us, when you pray... Make sure to be quick to ask for forgiveness for debts that your sin has created. I don't know if you've ever gotten a bill that you don't know how you're going to pay. That something came in the mail and there was no budget item for this. There, if you're Dave Ramsey, there was no envelope for this. If, if you, you look and you said, there is no room in my bank account for this. You know you can't afford to pay this bill. You are in debt over your head. This is what our sin did for us. Your sins have accumulated such a debt that we can never pay it back. Not by merit, not by works, by prayer, by giving, by church attendance, by your own morals, by your own ethic, by your own striving. We can never pay it back. We can never pay back this debt. That's why Jesus says, forgive us our debt. 
He doesn't say, help us to pay back our debt. Give us the strength to pay it back. Give us the wisdom. Give us the morals. Give us the whatever we need in order to pay back the debt. He says, you can't even think like that. Forgive us this debt. I think that sometimes we can let the pride and arrogance of the human condition affect us. And as we grow and mature in the Lord, hopefully we are becoming better people. That the choices that we used to make are not the choices that we make. The things we were bound to, we are no longer bound to. The things that caused us to be broken, we have been healed. We are improving as people, as followers of Christ. But sometimes that can cause us to fall into the trap of, you know, I'm not that bad. And for some of us, I'm actually pretty good. And maybe even for some of us still, I'm actually better than most. I'm maybe not all the way there, but realistically, I'm better than most of them. They're bad. I'm not that bad. They're sinners. I don't do it as much as I used to. I'm pretty good. See, we're really good at justifying ourselves and our own shortfalls. When I sin, I've got a reason for it. When you sin, you're just a sinner. But when I sin, you don't understand. There were some mitigating circumstances. See, we judge ourselves on our intentions, on our reasons for doing things. Well, I didn't mean to do that. It wasn't my intention when I did that that that's how you would feel. Actually, I'm doing this for their own good. We judge ourselves by our intentions by what we meant, or by what we didn't mean. And so that allows us to feel better about what we've done. But we judge other people by their actions. We don't give them room for intention. So we, we say, hold on, no, you don't understand. When I said that, when I posted that, when, when, I, when I acted like that, I was having a really bad day. And uh, it didn't come across the way that I meant it to. And I'm really sorry. And, and really, it wasn't even a sin. It was, I, I don't need to be forgiven. Um, I just need you to understand why it happened. But when somebody does something to us, it, intention doesn't matter. The road to hell is paved with good intentions for you. That, that we, we, we judge ourselves on our intent, but we judge other people on their actions. How could they do that? Shouldn't they know better? They're just wrong. It's a spirit of pride. It's a spirit of self-righteousness that says, I'm better than someone else. I don't know how to explain this any other way, but I think that there are some that need to hear this because they've forgotten this because they've forgotten the truth, truth of this. So hear this. Your sin stinks. Your sin is nasty. Your sin 
is disgusting. And it's true because sin is sin. There is no big sin and there is no little sin. Scripture will say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but some of you worse than others. No, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin, whatever it may be, your sin and somebody else's sin, the wages of sin is death. And so my sin, even though I can justify it, even though I can tell you why it's actually better for you that I do this, even though I can tell you why it's actually better for me, even though I can give you all of the reasons why I did it and I want to justify myself, my wages of my sin is death. And even when I look at your sin and say, you should know better. How could you make that choice? Why are you bound to that? Oh, you're weak, you're pathetic. Sin is still sin. We all have a debt that we owe. We all have a bill that we cannot pay. And Jesus in his love came to forgive us our debts that we cannot pay. Our debt is huge. And Jesus paid it full. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. He begins by saying, this is a trustworthy saying. And when the Apostle Paul tells us this is something to keep in the back of our mind, let's try and do that. Let's keep it in the back of our mind. This is God speaking through Paul saying, remember this. Keep this in the back. Let this shape how you think. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. They needed him. But that's not the whole thing. That's that's not the part that Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. And then we forget the rest of it. Jesus, or Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, who I am the worst. That's not a great feeling. God, I've got reasons. I've got intentions. I meant for it to go like this. I'm not that bad. I've served you for a long time. God, do you remember who I was when I started serving you? Do you remember the things I used to do that I don't do anymore? I maybe was kind of bad back then. But look at me now. Paul says... Jesus came to save sinners of who I am the worst. And said, remember this. We are are a people who are in need of forgiveness. See, this was the point that the prodigal son had come to. In his story, he had lived it. He had done everything his own way. But he had to come to this place where he had to realize in his life, hey, I need forgiveness. And this is a place that we need to come to in our lives as well. To actually admit that there might be places in my life that I need God to deal with. Areas in my life that I need to ask for forgiveness. And what's tragic is that many of us can't get past this point. That we're at point one 
And this is already a breaking point for a lot of people. Because we don't ask forgiveness for the good parts of our lives. We ask forgiveness for the parts that shouldn't be there. And for so many, even acknowledging the presence of a part of my life that shouldn't be there is a bridge too far. We will never get out of the blocks on God setting us free because we cannot come to a place where we can admit that we need to be set free. We can't come to a place where God will be able to set us right because we cannot come to a place where we're willing to admit we're wrong. We cannot get our debt paid because we don't come to a place where we're willing to say, I've got a debt that needs to be paid. We all know people in our lives that are like this. It's hard to recognize it about ourselves. We can all look at people in our lives and say, they just can't get out of their own way. If only they would just be willing to admit they needed help, everything could be different. If only they. But sometimes they is us. And it can be hard for us to have the humility to come to a place where we say, God, I actually need to come back home. Now, the second thing that I want to talk about that we need to understand about forgiveness, it's, it's not really in the story of the prodigal son at all. Completely full stop. The, you, the, I'm not going to reference the prodigal son because it's not there, but it is so important for us to understand when we want to understand forgiveness because it's both the overflow and the litmus test to the first one. That if we actually embrace the idea that I'm somebody who needs forgiveness, this will become the overflow. And if I'm not doing this, I'm going to tell you today that you are not doing the first one. The second one that comes out of the acknowledgement that I need forgiveness is that I need to forgive people. We saw this relationship even as we read the Lord's Prayer. Even as Jesus was teaching us to pray for forgiveness, he said this. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So forgive us what we owe as we're also forgiving those who owe us stuff. Once I understand that I am forgiven, how, how can I not forgive? Scripture will say, freely you have received, hold it back in case they really earned it. Freely God has poured this out on your life. Hoard it all. Don't let it go. Freely you have received. Freely give. If I receive forgiveness, I need to give forgiveness. But when I stop recognizing my need for forgiveness in my life, there is a direct line between that and my willingness to forgive others for their shortcomings. If I stop doing point one, I will stop doing point two. And when I embrace point one, I will overwhelmingly embrace point two. See, forgiven people forgive people. 
But forgiving people is hard. Just like we don't ask for forgiveness for the good things we do, you don't need to forgive someone for being nice to you. We don't forgive people for being so great. We don't say, you know, you've been such a great support for me. You've been so kind and loving. As we've walked through this season of COVID, you have checked in. You have everything. Our, our families are so close. Whatever it may be, I forgive you for all of that. No. It's the opposite. You have not been supportive. You have not been. We, forgiveness is hard because we're forgiving people who have been bad to us. Even the disciples struggled with this. As Jesus is teaching about forgiveness, as Jesus is telling the disciples about what it means to live like this, Peter comes to Jesus and says, you know, Jesus, I'm fully on board with the forgiveness thing. I love it. It's a great idea. I'm all for it. Absolutely. We must forgive people. But realistically, there's got to be a limit. Surely there, there comes a point where I can stop. But at what point do we stop forgiving? How many times do I need to forgive somebody? Like seven? Like at, at what point can we just say, you know what, I don't forgive you anymore? I forgave you and I forgave you and I forgave you, but now we're done. Jesus, I'm all for it. But let me know how far I got to go. Verse, or in, it'll say in Matthew, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, it's important to understand here that Jesus is not just giving him the correct number. Jesus is emphasizing for him, it's not about a number, because here's what we're called to do. Jesus will say, love others as I have loved you. God doesn't limit how much grace and forgiveness he gives us. He has unlimited grace, unlimited mercy, and the same unlimited mercy and grace that God has for us, Jesus says, I need you to give that to other people. Hurt people hurt people. That's how you get hurt, is because hurt people hurt people, and forgiven people forgive people. Don't match hurt with hurt. Don't live your life like that. You need to see past your hurt and see into their hurt and forgive. Hurt people hurt people. And so when you're hurt by somebody, what you need to recognize is they're hurt. And so we need to take a step back, and even though we're hurt, look at them and see past their jerk and see their hurt and forgive. Forgiven people forgive people. And when we recognize and when we remember the debt that's been paid for us, what we've been forgiven, when we really take that and understand that, the overflow of that will be suddenly I'm a lot more comfortable forgiving people. Not in the story of the prodigal son at all. The third thing that we need to understand about forgiveness, though, is that I need to develop a forgiving spirit. 
And we'll see this in the father of the prodigal son. We're going to talk about more next week what happens when the son comes home. But what we see is that when the son comes home, the father already had forgiveness in his spirit for his son. And we need to develop a forgiving spirit inside of us. In Psalm chapter 86, verse 5, it will say this about God. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. God is already ready to forgive. The problem for us with forgiveness is that we wait until something happens in our lives before we begin to think about forgiveness. We're so shocked by the portrayal. We're so surprised by the fallout. We're so shook by the way that they walked out on us. You are so thrown by what took place. And it's in that moment we decide that this is the best moment for us to decide whether or not we're going to forgive. As everything falls down around us, as our hurt and our pain is as real as it can ever be, that's the moment where we decide, you know, this is a good time for me to decide whether I should forgive. But this verse tells us that, to, that God is already ready to forgive. He's already sitting in a posture of forgiveness. All that we need to do is ask for that abundant mercy because it's already ready to be given to you. We have to prepare ourselves for forgiveness before we need to forgive. One of the things that I will often tell couples when I do premarital counseling is that one of the best things that you can do in the context of your marriage is to have a conversation about how you're going to fight. Not while you're fighting, but when you're not fighting, when you're in a good, healthy place with each other, don't live in denial that another fight's going to happen, but come to each other and have a discussion about, next time we fight, can you please not do this? That hurts me more than I can tell you. Next time we fight, please don't raise your voice at me. I can't handle it. Next time we fight, can you please not use words like always and never? Next time we fight, can we do this? So that the next time we fight, we're already prepared for what a fight looks like. In our lives, we need to prepare ourselves for forgiveness before we need to forgive. We need to make a predetermined faith decision in our lives that the next time something happens, I'm already ready to forgive. I don't know what it's going to be. I have no idea who the next person I'm going to need to forgive is. But I'm going to make a predetermined faith decision in my life right now that whatever it is, I'm already ready to forgive them. Because if we wait till the moment, we wait till the emotions are high, then we're only going to make a decision based on that. But like God, we can make a choice to be ready to forgive, to make a predetermined faith decision, I'm going to forgive. When Daniel was told he needed to stop praying, 
or we're going to feed you to the lions. He had already made a predetermined faith decision on this is what I'm going to do. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told they needed to worship the king or they'd be thrown into a fire, they had already made a predetermined faith decision on what they were going to do. Look at the father of the prodigal son. Scripture says that he was standing there waiting. Now, waiting could mean different things. He could be waiting to say, I told you so. He could be waiting to say, well, 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 look what the cat dragged in. He could be waiting to kill him. Essentially, it, when you understand the cultural context of the prodigal son, his son came to his dad and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. All kinds of things could that waiting symbolize. But he wasn't waiting to pounce. He wasn't waiting to punish. He was waiting to forgive. Day after day, he would go out and look for his son, saying, maybe today is the day that he will come home, but not so that I can figure out how I'll respond to him. He already had figured out how he would respond to him. And you, I, when it comes to forgiveness, we can make a predetermined faith decision that like God, we are already ready to forgive. We can't wait till a comment is made, till an invitation isn't given, till someone messes with us, till someone says something that upsets us, till someone disagrees with us a little too aggressively, till someone hurts you. We need to have already made a predetermined faith position, decision. God is ready to forgive and I want to be ready to forgive as well. Because when we leave it till the last moment, we're going to get it wrong. And then offenses, they land. Hurts land. And baggage begins to form. And things begin to take root in us. And then we find ourselves broken and in bondage. But if we make a predetermined faith decision that we as a people, as a person who is, we're, that we're already ready to forgive, we're not going to have to deal with that. You know, so-and-so said this about you. You know, so-and-so did this. You know, so-and-so messed up like this. You know, so-and-so posted a status on Facebook, and I'm pretty sure it's about you. You know, so-and-so posted a meme on Facebook, and I'm pretty sure they're talking about you. You know... This just took place in their life, and they shouldn't be like that. It's okay. Because I am already ready to forgive. I've made a predetermined faith decision to be ready to forgive. So I don't care what they said. Because I'm already ready to forgive them. Great. I've got a storehouse of forgiveness Let's give it to him. Now this leads us to the last thing that we need to know about forgiveness. I need to actually forgive. I need to actually like truly forgive them. I cannot just say it. I cannot just profess it. I need to actually do it. What I'm saying is that we as Christians are very good at bracing or embracing the theory of this. 
We're very good at understanding the idea of what we're supposed to do. But we're not always good at putting it into practice. It's one thing for the father to look his son in the eye and say to him, I forgive you. But then walk away cursing him under his breath. To think to himself, sure, I, I can forgive him because I know it's what I'm supposed to do. But can you believe the audacity of this brat to do what he did and then to come home now and look to be, ah, I forgive you! Our kids learn how to forgive. And so we tell them to forgive each other. But it's not the most subtle thing in the world when you can tell that they're just saying it because mom and dad told them to. It's very painfully clear when they are saying it, but they don't mean it. And I wish I could say we grow out of that. Some of us have people that live inside our hearts, inside our minds, inside our spirits. Their hurt, their pain, the things they did to us. Maybe it's been weeks or months, years or decades and we still hang on to the, our unforgiveness. Sure, we've, maybe we've said we forgive them. Maybe we've even told them, I forgive you. But we didn't. And we don't. We still sit on the offense. We still stew on it. And it takes root in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, 15 will warn us. It will say, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. How does somebody fall short of the grace of God? Not because God doesn't extend it to them. Because I don't. And if I don't extend it to them, a bitter root grows up inside of me. Don't just say you forgive. You need to forgive. Because when we just say it and we don't do it, it lets bitter roots grow up inside of us. Don't do it because the verse says it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect those around you. Don't just say you forgive because it's not just you that it affects. It says grows up to cause trouble and defile many. A bitter person affects everyone around them with their bitterness. Your friends, your family, your kids, your spouse, your co-workers, everyone around you will be affected by the bitter root of unforgiveness in our lives. We cannot profess forgiveness. We actually have to forgive. The prodigal son need to find, needed to find forgiveness in his father. And in our lives, we may need to find forgiveness. And through the story of the prodigal son, we see what forgiveness looks like. Once we realize we need forgiveness, we can turn to our father in heaven and he's already ready to forgive us. And he really, truly will forgive us. And through that picture, we see what forgiveness needs to look like for in our own lives. We need to remember that I, I need forgiveness. I need to forgive people. 
I need to have a predetermined faith decision that I'm going to develop a forgiving spirit and I need to actually forgive. Now, today's message leaves us in a bit of a tension spot because the things that we talked about today are probably not concluded in your life. You may need a deep work of God in your life to remember that you need forgiveness. You may need a deep work of God in your life to help you to forgive someone. You may need a deep work of God in your life to help you to have a heart open to the idea of forgiveness. And you may need a deep work of God in your life to actually do it. Perhaps God performed a miracle in your life as I was preaching. And in a moment you were set free. But my guess is that you're entering into a process. That as we talked, you may have had a name come to mind. You may have had a situation come to mind. You may have had a person or you may have had something come to mind where you're like, you know, I never really forgave, forgave them. Maybe you realized, you know, I do struggle with forgiveness. Maybe I need to be reminded that I needed to be forgiven. And so what happens in your life from here, it's up to you. Are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to let God do the work in you to set you free from unforgiveness? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that so often in life and in our experience, God, we have such a perfect picture of who you are in our understanding of one another and just knowing the opposite is true of you. That hurt people hurt people, and we've all been hurt we can understand who you are in that because you would never hurt us. That we struggle to forgive others and we have such a picture of who you are because you are already ready to forgive us. God, I thank you that, that you are not like us. And so as we deal with us, God, we can come to you and you'll show us how to deal with each other. You'll show us how to forgive. You'll show us how to have mercy for each other. You'll show us how to forgive the deep-seated hurts that we've never been able to relinquish. God, I thank you that you'll forgive us of those things, that you'll help us to forgive those things, that you'll help us to be able to live out this call to forgiveness, that we would be able to forgive our debts and God, I pray for each one here today, for every one of us that has areas in our lives where we just have not been able to forgive. Forgive the comment. Forgive the gesture. Forgive the action. Forgive the intentional wounds that were inflicted. To forgive the unintentional, maybe even unknown wounds that were inflicted. God, I pray that you would help us to not hold on to them to not allow a bitter root to grow up in us. 
And God, for those of us who have already experienced the bitter root, that we know we're way past preventing the root system, God, would you come into our lives right now and rip them out? Rip out a root of bitterness that's taken hold in my life. Rip out the roots of bitterness that have taken hold in our lives. God, rip them out and don't leave any root behind. God, we don't want to become toxic in our lives and in our relationships with others because we've held on to unforgiveness. God, would you help us to discover forgiveness? Would you help us to be able to let go of the hurt, to let go of the pain? God, would you help us to be a people who have free or are able to freely give what it is that we've received? And God, I pray that we wouldn't just forgive because we're supposed to. We wouldn't just forgive because the preacher man said we're supposed to. But God, I pray that you would awaken in each one of us again a deep understanding of what we've been forgiven. A deep understanding of who we were. And a deep understanding of how you loved us even as we were. And God, as, as, as you work on us, as you sanctify us, as you move us more and more towards being like you, God, may we never forget your grace and your mercy, your love and your care for us. May we never forget what you've done for us. God, may that be our motivator to forgive. May we be a forgiven people who forgive mightily. May we be ready to forgive because we've already been forgiven of so much. God, we thank you that you continue to work on us. And we just pray that in this moment and in this time, we would receive such a deep sense of forgiveness. In your name we pray, amen. When I think about my faith journey, there are two big areas of my life where I look back and see how, like in the Footprints poem, God has carried me. And one of those is in my 40 years as a parent. Tom and I have five kids. We have a growing group of delightful little grandkids, 13 of them as of February, 10 and under. Uh, we've had a lot of experiences. We continue to pray and to trust God, and we are so blessed. The other area of my life is, <clears throat> is in my life as a nurse. This career path has taken me through many transitions and lots of opportunities to grow my faith whether it was through the work itself or the environment that i found myself in i grew up on a ranch southeast of hannah and so when i completed my nursing education in edmonton i was happy to leave the city i worked in small rural hospitals like boyle inuvik uh, i worked for about a year in a british boarding school in india i came back and i worked in daysland um, i worked and traveled for about a year and worked in Brooks. And then I decided to take a one-year um, obstetrics course at the U of A. It was kind of Canada's answer to midwifery at that time. I started that course in September and Tom and I got married in October. Uh, by February, we were expecting our first baby. At the end of April, I, I um, joined Tom. He'd taken a teaching position in a little village of about 400 people, two and a half hours east of Edmonton a place we had never heard of and where we ended up staying for the next 28 years. Um, our baby was born in October. 
and I worked the following summer in the hospital where he was born uh, when we were expecting our second baby and there were some complications, I made the decision to stay home. Having worked a few years and gained some experience and some confidence in my job, I knew I had lots to learn, but I really enjoyed my work. On the other hand, as a rookie mom, I felt particularly clueless, being the youngest of four kids and with little experience even as a babysitter. Thank goodness for Tom. When our kids were all in school, I worked for about five years as a rehab aide with a little girl with developmental delays. And then when she started school, Tom encouraged me to take the nursing refresher course. I knew I would enjoy the study. I'd always been amazed at the miracle of the human body, but I worried about what would follow that and whether or not I could live up to the investment having been away from, from nursing for a number of years. While it would have been ideal to be able to work on a, a postpartum unit, say, or an orthopedic unit, the options open for me were long-term care or acute care and emergency and obstetrics. I did my practicum at the hospital where I'd worked for a short time and where all five of our kids were born. And I submitted my application to the region and surprise, a different hospital contacted me, uh, a place I hadn't actually thought of. They were a hospital that also saw the patient, patients from trauma on the highway and trauma in the oil field and trauma in agriculture, uh, cardiac events like heart attacks, um, strokes, uh, quite a lot of obstetrics, quite a lot of palliative care interspersed with abdominal pain that might end up being constipation and toenail fungus. <laughs> um, part of the stress of this new and multifaceted jobs challenge was getting there. It was kind of a lonely road with sketchy cell phone service peppered with deer, um, atypical numbers of deer. Ultimately, the insurance companies paid for, uh, arranged for a cull, uh, flew airplanes overhead, shot them and took them to the food bank. Um, also, what seemed like perpetual winter with ice and snow and blizzards and meeting those oil field trucks on relatively narrow road and um, visibility of zero for heart-stoppingly long minutes. I have to tell you though that I, although I have totaled my car in a collision with a deer and I have been in the ditch many times, those events never happened on my work commutes. I was hired as a supernumerary extra staff member for three months, buddied with another nurse. And at the end of that time, my nurse manager met with me. She said, I know you're scared. And she gave me her cell phone number and told me night or day, if I felt like I was over my head, I could call her. And I appreciated that so much. And um, while I did definitely feel over my head, and I carried that number in my pocket. I never did have to use it. So Tom would stand at the back door to see me off 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. We worked 12 hour shifts and he'd say, I wonder what you're gonna get to do today. And I'd walk out to my car and I'd hear the garage door go up and I'd pop in a CD and the musical group Sela would sing me to work. I liked their old and their new songs, but my favorite was Great Is Thy Faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. I love to play piano, and Alan Hall is such an amazing piano player for that group. At the end of the song, when it says, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, 
it feels like Alan is just lifting right off the piano bench. Through those years, uh, music this music was a continual encouragement to me, as was scripture. Our pastor had read from the Message Bible, and I remember thinking, the Bible says that? So I bought a Message Bible and read through it. I copied verses and I stuck them to my dash and my visor and my post of my rear view mirror and I carried them in my pocket with that cell phone number. Verses like Matthew 6, 34, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Throughout these years of stretching and challenge, I knew God was with me. I realized that I didn't have to be the smartest person. I wasn't going to live long enough to work another 30 or 40 years like my buddy nurses, but I was praying, God, you made this person. You created this patient in front of me. I need you to tell me what to do. Jesus loves me. I've known that. I've sung that all my life. Jesus loves you too. He loves us so much that he allowed himself to die a terrible death so that we could be forgiven and have peace with God. In life's ups and downs, he can take all of the hard things we experience, all of the fear, embarrassment, vulnerability, our failures and heartache, as well as our exhilaration and joy, and use it for good. And those truths make all the difference. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. Hillsideairdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hillside Airdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdry.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go.
The detour is over.